Hello, welcome to Different is Good, where we come together to share raw conversation around our passions to help all those involved with neurodifferences. We have Trish Cook, the founder of My Albert program that addresses the needs of the whole child and supports teachers by providing a neat and tidy, easy to navigate, I must say, must say, easy to navigate, systematic approach platform from which students are first assessed for their academics, right? First, we figure out what they need academically, but the most important and I think um, most beautiful part of the initial assessments is to find out their social emotional needs. In addition to that, we discover their gifts, strengths, and interests. From there, we do some team building, and then that set, sets the stage for a, a wonderful learning environment is what I'm experiencing as I'm implementing this Albert in my classroom. Trish is also an author of a book called Nurture Their Nature, uh, and that is a place um, where we want them to discover their gifts, you know, the things that God made them for, <laughs> you know, so the nature is, is the part of where God made them for a reason and let them naturally discover that and not stifle that in any way in the classroom. Can you speak a little bit to that, Trish? That's right. Um, so having worked with ages 18 months to 81 years old, I could tell you they just really want somebody who believes in them. So that has a lot to, if you can just nurture their nature and under trust them, trust what their purpose is going to be, trust that they have the ability, trust trust that they can trust their own mind and that they have it in them to learn that y'all, they can do whatever their purpose is, but it's about believing in that and trusting in that yourself as a teacher. Yeah. Oh, that's just so beautiful. So, and then we have me, a mother of a son who has the gift of dyslexia and gave me um, the discovery and the gift. Like I didn't know that I had this neurodifference and all the neurodifferences that were discovered after the fact, but it was an absolute gift to me when I was very busy as a mother trying to discover what I could do to help him learn best and give him what he needed and deserved. Um, and through that, that search, I, it was uncovered that I, I had that moral difference, that gift, right? So then fast forward, I go into special education and then um, I decide that I'm going to help specifically dyslexics. And that's where we meet um, because through a pandemic, I wasn't quite sure where I was going. I couldn't have kids in my in my living room anymore uh, due to the you know the nature of the pandemic. So um, last week we had a beautiful discussion. Everything's beautiful, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> beautiful um, about this one student that you were having a conversation with another teacher about how he had an affinity for history. And what do you do with something like that? Mm -hmm. And I loved how you uh, elaborated on 
have, it's okay to have an affinity for something uh, and just go with it. So can you speak to a, a little more about how to, how to handle something like that in the classroom environment of today, especially in a public school? So, so the gifts that we're talking about are those attributes. And one of the main attributes, again, is being able to think outside of the box and be a problem solver and finding several different solutions. But what also another attribute is that we're interest-based learners. Yes. We can learn anything as long as it's of our interest. Now, it doesn't mean you can't develop and help them discover more interests and go from one interest and change it and transform it into another interest. But it's just about constantly being aware and assessing. I use webs to do that. Mind webs, by the way, if anybody wants to look up mind webs. That's how I start off with, with the assessment is to find out their interests, but then to develop their interests using webs. So um that we take that interest of theirs and that's how we're going to learn to teach them is through that interest and um and the problem solution being well aware that we're looking for problem solutions so the student with one linking history a whole bunch i said well isn't there a lot i'm thinking into myself that i'm going to trust that his purpose in life is something possibly problem solution and history so that's what i would tell me and i would say well there's enough problems in this world and what have we learned from history mm. so he can add that information in as part of the solutions for world problems today or world problems in the future um i know that it's, it takes a lot of application and a lot of project work to build around those um because he's going to have to that student who cares only about the affinity for history and not so much the subject areas is that he's going to have to take that and apply it somewhere. That's where you come in. But remember what his gifts might be. Gifts might be drama, computer, uh, coding, computer um, graphics, computer um with PowerPoint, you know, it might be something with drama. It might be something with drawing and art, you know. So that's where the assessment comes in. You find it. So you're going to merge his ability of being able to take these gifts and that problem solution and merge it together. And that's where you're going to be teaching. Because when you think about it, you're going to be writing into a PowerPoint then your intervention can step in. And that's where you can intervene a little bit. But you're going to, he's going to, He's going to want to research everything first. That's the deal. Love, we I love that. Whole, you know, and what's interesting is that this is how I always felt as an educator. It always like made sense to me. Like I'm noticing this and I just want to go with that because that's what he, he's interested in. But that's also what I'm noticing. Um, it just was a natural like way of like wanting to move forward with that particular student. It just made sense to me. Uh, that makes me think about, you know, two students in particular. Uh, one student has an affinity for dinosaurs. And I think about his gifts, which is artistic abilities, and he loves anything computer. So I'm thinking we could take the ball and run with, with this. However, 
I wanted to get your opinion on when you have a student who has expressive language deficits and also um, what he presents in the classroom a lot when you're speaking to him and trying to make sure that he understands next steps or he understands the concepts being taught. He often parrots back and just repeats my question, which tells me he doesn't necessarily process what I'm asking. So where do you think I should go with something like that? Well, uh, listening skills will help with receptive language. So you can constantly on the side be working on um, receptive language. Uh, but if he's communicating um, through you showing him instead of telling him, constantly be showing him whatever it is that you're trying to get across. Well, so, that is an amazing point that you just made because he does learn that way just through showing. So it's not. Wow, that's a huge takeaway for me just there. Good. So, yeah, it's and you not... can add the words in, um, but scaffold that. Don't give too many words at one right. time. Your, work your way up from a few words to a few phrases to a few sentences. So you scaffold that. And so maybe I could encourage him to possibly want to know because I know he's very upset. He believes that dinosaurs still exist. Like he doesn't want to ever hear that they're not real, right? Yes. So that's, that's if, a hippocampus. He, and that's his, again, that's his being able to know where he is in space and time awareness that OT and TPT could help with. For mm -hmm. the receptive language, you'll also want to see a speech and let him to see a speech and language with a pathologist on the side for expressive and receptive language. But, um, yeah. But anyway, that's a place to start with him. So then I have another student this week who I I just gave, and I rarely do this. And I know now that I have to do it more because I have this concept in my mind that as an educator, I'm being paid to do a job and you better be doing your job, right? So I'm constantly on all day long. The decision I made to just allow and watch was fabulous because of what came out of it. So this one particular student was so excited to come to me and tell me that he figured out how to get this airplane to come back to him. And I said, please share, please tell me how exactly did you do that? And he said, well, I just looked it up on YouTube and I just kept playing it back. And I, so I said, so you were like taking notes and you just kept trying it and, and tweaking it. And he said, yeah. I said, well, now I need to know, would you be willing to share with all of us? Would you share with us how you did it and teach us? Cause I want to know how to do it. And then we can turn it into a math lesson and measure how far it went and have a contest and see if it comes. Must have lost you, Linda. Let's hopefully we'll get you back. She's talking about the interest of her student that has um, an affinity for, it sounds like, I'm thinking physics and airplanes or and or aerospace engineering. Um, 
So hopefully when she gets back to us, I don't know how I lost her. We will uh, talk about that more. So, yeah, on my assessment, it mentions what their interests are. And I list some very common interests of Legos, uh, dinosaurs, trains, um, anime, um, YouTube uh, video making and things like that. But there's also a space to be able to um, to find out for a blank space to tell more about what their interest is. So we're talking about going on their interest. So uh, Linda, you're still muted. I don't know if you realize, but um, so that was so I was, that's okay. I was just summarizing when you were gone, what we had said for the new that came so in. So that was an example of my Nora difference there. Um, attention yeah. to detail. I, uh, I meant to plug my computer in and I did not. And I was so uh, into what I was saying that I didn't even notice the flashing, you're going to run out of power. Yeah, so you might, you know, most of us with the neurodifference have short-term memory issues, and that's one of them, and sequencing. So it's a sequence of events that had to take place that got you to where you needed to plug it in, and that was no biggie, no biggie at all. Yeah, so, and, and so also just learning the, the tools of uh, staying calm, right? In the past, I would get so... Oh no, did this just happen? And then I would be so stuck on, I can't believe I just did that. I just messed Trish up. I just messed everything up. I'm a big loser, you know, like all of that. Sounds like shame. Hatred and, and shame, right? So mm -hmm. I just I didn't need to skip a beat. I just was like, okay, let me let me plug this in and let me hope it. And you know what? The best thing is normally it takes forever to power up and it just powered right up. So thank you, Lord. Um Anyway, so let's move on and let's uh, do what we said we were going to do the last three episodes and focus a little bit on you, my friend. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about how, well, I have to mention one of the most important um, shares of last week was the acceptance, right? The acceptance of our learning differences so that those wonderful positive attributes have an opportunity to shine through, right? And and have those characteristics, which I realized when I listened back, the characteristics are the parts of our neuro differences that need to fall by the wayside, right? So once we accept and understand our neuro differences and really under, get to a point where it's like, wow, these this is actually a gift of ours, right? So once we get to that point, the attributes come shining through and those characteristics, which tend to be the negative parts, go away. So can you speak to how how you made it through all of that? Yeah. What sure. was your journey like? Yeah. So it was um where well, I started uh pre-K, like everybody, not a lot of people did. I started pre-K and this was 1974. No, no, I was born in 75. Oh my gosh. Okay. I was, it was 1979. I started pre K. And um, so I started pre K a little later than everybody because my birthday is July, you know, and then I don't even know if it had a September cutoff back then in 1979. But um, so I had a lot of anxiety and anxious, anxiousness 
even then leaving my mom from home. I remember that. And I already had social problems already in pre-K. Well, went to kindergarten and um, the social problem was really bad. I mean, I remember a group of girls sitting and talking together and I just wanted to be a part of their group and not be a loner anymore. And they just pretended like they were friends with me. So um, I'm going to get it to a point with all this, I promise. But that would cause somebody a lot of shame, right? Well, mm. the teacher already was having problems with my learning in kindergarten. So um, she was treating me differently. So I had the kids treating me different. And I was um, having the teacher to treat me different. So I was daydreaming a lot. I feel like I was constantly looking out of the window daydreaming my whole kindergarten year. So they took me as lazy. They told my mom I was lazy and they just wanted to hold me back. I was lazy and immature. Mm. So they held me back. But, you know, that was a kind of easy decision having July birthday, I guess. We can attribute to that. So did kindergarten again, same type of experience. Not a lot of kids having to do much with me. Teachers still frustrated, angry with me. And so uh, they wanted to hold me back again a second time. And so my mom got me a tutor. Wait, no, okay. So they wanted to hold me back again a second time in first grade. Um, so I did graduate kindergarten, by the way. Um, they wanted me to hold me back in first grade. And so my mom's like, no, she's not being held back again. So she took me out and I went to Montessori school. And the good, the, the Montessori is perfect. If it's structured well, you know, given a lot of autonomy, the student can learn the automaticity. But I literally feel like those teachers did not teach me. They stayed away from me because they knew they couldn't help me. <laughs> but they did do one thing good. They told me that my mom, that I should go, they sh I should go look, get tested. So they found central auditory processing disorder and a learning disability, um, a severe learning disability. My mom added that on two weeks ago. Somehow didn't realize that they had said severe. So anyway, um, so that means I had problems in reading and math and a average to higher IQ, correct? Yes. But, but I believe was there was also neurodivergency stuck in there somewhere that wasn't mentioned. So I need to say that you and I reference a lot. We reference neurodifference, learning difference. We reference uh, dyslexia a lot. But we don't talk about as a neurodivergency, which falls under the umbrella of neurodifference, where literally I think in a divergent way. My way of thinking is not like everybody else's. I go through observation first, create my own um, hypothesis, and then my own theory. And I, then I test my theory without any question because I'm trusting. If I trust in that theory, and then I do my write-up. So that's the whole opposite way of thinking of most people. So. Um, I probably say there's a twice exceptionality in there for me that, uh, that has not gone diagnosed. So talk about feeling different. Not only do I have a neuro difference um, in the fact that I have a learning 
I have learning problems. I have neurodivergency in the way I'm thinking different. So um, throughout my whole life, I felt different from everybody. Um, and then they noticed it in, my, in the way that I spoke and said things that were different from everybody. But literally, I would even think, what is everybody else doing? Because I'm not going to do that, you know. So I feel like people like myself with neurodivergency um, and a learning difference have a really strong purpose and will in our lives. So I had a strong purpose and a lot of that, I didn't believe I was any good. I didn't think I was enough because everybody focused on my academics and I was not learning like everybody else nor thinking. So, um, so anyway, I found a lot of finding myself worth and like my looks and how I looked and how I socially interacted later on when I got, you know, I'd grown up a bit, you know, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So being like popular stuff. And that's where I found my in, in sports with, um, with tennis. I did really well at tennis. Um, and, uh, so I didn't. And so, so you hung your hat on that for, for a while where it's like, okay, well, I excel in and I can dress nice I can look presentable um you know I'm attractive and I can get attention that way and I'm pretty good at tennis so I'll I'll focus on that and we'll just let the fact that I um can't excel in school that well that's okay I'll just mm-hmm. you started yep. to believe that you weren't good enough or smart enough so what changed how did it change so that's a good question so when i was 38 i feel like mind maps we can google those keep on referencing those can look them up um they were starting to become what they are today uh, when i was 38 so y'all can do the math i'm 46 now but So uh, through those mind maps, it really helped me to gain my confidence in my reading, writing. And then when I was speaking, I was using them for, to be able to speak because I was already training teachers at the time. And um, so I feel still felt very unsure and uncertain and insecure. Because it was That's- different than everybody else, even though it was helping your brain and you felt comfortable and it was a tool that you found and discovered that worked for you as an individual. You still had this ruminating thought possibly that you weren't going to be accepted for, for the way you were presenting or. Oh, yeah. So still felt very insecure and unsure. <clears throat> so then I was like, uh, why am I still unsure and insecure? And I said, and then the word strength came up for me. And I was like, hmm, yeah. Oh, I need strength now. I've let everybody run over me. Which, remember, one of the attributes is, again, is for caring a lot for people, animals, and nature. And uh, so I've let everybody run all over me forever. And so, yeah, I can be more, have more strength. But what I didn't know through finding out from the Bible is it wasn't just the strength of that that I'm talking about. It's the strength to look at my anger. 
And so I thought to myself, this is the, the revelation coming from the Bible. I thought to myself, I'm not an angry person. Why is this coming up for me? I don't get angry, you know? So I literally had to bring myself back into the child, my childhood. And I had to think about where was I <clears throat> holding in anger and where I really was angry so I went straight back to first grade in my mind where I was um had a teacher standing over me yelling at me in front of the kids and um made me feel about this big like really small you know so I really went there first that's the first time I realized that I did have anger you know that's what we got we definitely have that in common. This is what's so wonderful about this role mm-hmm. conversation because we're healing as we go, right? Continued layers being peeled back. And now I'm having the memory of being the first grade student who, by the way, I too, uh, my, my parents were told she's a little immature and we're going to keep her back. Um, so obviously they didn't know what to do with me. And I remember standing and the shame that came over me, standing next to my teacher who I just I just so desperately wanted her to see me and understand me and like me and want to be my teacher, you know? So I was standing by her and I was so excited that she was paying attention to me. And I'll never forget her laughing at me. Mm-hmm. I was distraught. So there's a lot of things I don't remember as a young person. And I think the reason I know I experienced a lot of trauma is that when you experience trauma, you never really forget those feelings. It takes a yes. lot to, to like, acknowledge them. Yeah. And Can so, I say one of our attributes is being able to go into, we have 3D thinking, by the way, three-dimensional thinking. So we can go back in our mind exactly in 3D as if it's happening again today. And like you said, it's not even being able to picture that or image that in our mind that makes it so, is that we felt it. So I had to feel it and I felt anger. I felt angry at that teacher. But do you think I was going to acknowledge that back then when nobody was talking to me about anger? Are you angry? Are you feeling anger? It wasn't even brought up. So I didn't know how to label this. No outlet for that. Mm -mm. No, No, not at all. Zip it. Don't say a word and just, just deal, Mm -hmm. just move on. That's why I find it so important to talk about if in label, if you're feeling anger or shame for something, right. so you can which, at least get that word out there and get in. Which brings us that. back to the conversation with Susan last, last week, where she so intelligently came up with uh, that tool for her daughter. They just had one mm-hmm. word, right? And, and I have to let her know that, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a step back in my classroom and I'm going to pull every student aside and say, listen, I want you to understand if you ever feel this way, please don't be ashamed of what you're feeling. We need to know as a school family how you're feeling and let's come up with a word or a gesture. I used to do that with a student where all he had to do was go like this to his head, tap his, his temple and I would know, come in. I come in and come to my side and aid, give me aid. I need you right now. I need your attention. And so that always, I didn't have that in the (laughs) eighties. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) And so, and it's not just um, in the morning check-in it's, we need to check in throughout the day. 
and let's just get let's just check in on the tone of the class how was everybody and and throughout a lesson you know don't just sit there and let it just glaze over if we need to stop everything and do some hands-on and and stretch this out for three days that's what we're going to do because that young person i mean i'm sorry not young person the person who does get it because i'm in a multi-level grades I'm, i teach five through eight so maybe that eighth grader that didn't get it when he was in fifth grade now gets it and now you're going to be the leader and you can pull him over and teach him how you learned so now you're a leader and you're using expressive language and leadership skills so there's a lot that can be done mm -hmm. in situations like that where the learning isn't stifled at all really they're learning how to be a whole person so many skills being a leader so a part, part of my trauma of having a narrow difference was they didn't recognize me as a leader you never got grades for academics you never got chosen for special things to do around the school things like that so I did finally get recognized with tennis by getting a senior award that was huge for me huge I'll never forget that moment but there were few and far between where I was recognized in a positive way in the classroom, you know, because I was too much of a trouble or bother and um, and got my teachers very angry. So I felt her anger because one of our attributes is being empathetic and being empathic and being able to pick up on other people's feelings. So I had it double, you know, so my anger cup was building up, building up all these years, you know, um, every time somebody would call me stupid and lazy and all these things. Um, another time I felt anger, I wanted to tell you, uh, was in high school also. So my mom can speak fluent Spanish and I was determined to speak Spanish. Um, and so, I was in AP classes, by the way, because it was never a question if you're going to college, it was you are going to college. So that's good. My parents pushed me to do that, but I wanted to learn Spanish. And so we would have conversational Spanish um, the second level up. And I could not get up there to speak it because I was barely getting through the worksheets that we were doing in Spanish much less to speak it. And boy, the shame was horrible for me because I wanted something so bad and I couldn't do it. See, that brings me to another attribute. We have a very strong will. That means a very strong purpose. Um, so I was determined, but yet I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? And I was trying hard. Um, so, so gosh, again, another example how we're so much alike i remember now and taking that spanish class and so oh, i know you did that for someone with our type of um, learning difference right mm -hmm. so i couldn't i couldn't get that tongue rolling i i just couldn't learn that second language because i guess it was quite challenging for me to learn the first language so for mm -hmm. me to layer on one more is that is that what it was well, there's several things involved in that. Um, I could learn the vocabulary of Spanish. I just couldn't be, put, use the syntax, be able to put it into a sentence because of the organization of it. So there's several things that I could affect learning a, 
a new language if you if you're neuro if you've got a neuro difference. But there's some some people that do actually can learn a second language and speak it. But there's always an exception. But for me, I couldn't. Let's put it that way. And it was it made me feel a lot of shame, a whole lot of shame. So let's say my anger cup had built up. And I had a susceptibility to shame. So I was living in anger and shame, but I wasn't recognizing it. It wasn't being recognized. It wasn't being talked Mm. about. It wasn't being worked out. It was just building and building and building. So no wonder why I was insecure and unsure at 38, even though I was starting to be able to do what I always wanted. And that's read well, write well, speak well. Um, So the next thing that came up for me after I looked at the use the strength, look at the anger that I developed is I had to look at the shame, which is the hardest. It's the deepest part of the brain. It's the hippocampus. It's there in the ponds. It's being able to work out your time and space awareness, by the way. So um, my shame had to be looked at and I had to use compassion to get to the, I mean, compassion. Yeah, did I say it right? Yeah, compassion to get look at the shame. So this is where um, I needed to have love for myself that was way beyond something else that I could give. And I feel like God had only could have done that inside of my heart and mind. So I be- got uh, became a born again Christian at that time. It was right around the age of 40, 42, I'm guessing. No, it's probably about 42. So. I had finally gotten to accept the learning difference, the neuro difference, the neurodivergency for myself, particularly. And um, now I'm starting to feel secure and, and less in, unsure of myself for the first time ever. So my characteristics started to get less and less. And it's that calm and that peace in my heart and mind that really, really made the difference to becoming a born again Christian, right? So having his support and his love that he's taken all of that anger and shame from me, all I'm now left with is those wonderful attributes of being able to think differently from everybody, um, being able to now see where I've done uh, some of the attributes of uh, the characteristics of dyslexia and kind of laugh at it, really. Like, I think it's like, oh, my goodness, look what I did again, you know, Um so that acceptance has me accepted myself where I can give compassion, where I can help people, but help truly help be helping them. There's a difference. Truly is the word. When you pray to God, you're going to pray to him truly that's, that you mean it. So now that I've uh, got compassion, that's true compassion for others, I can help them. Guess what? I realize it all had to have to happen. All the neuro difference, all the learning problems, all the anger, all the shame, all the people giggling at me, all the my brothers saying you're stupid all the time. All of the things had to happen now so I can help people and move on. The word was trauma. All the trauma that you experienced, right, brought you to where you are now, which is you're in a position to first and foremost feel the student um, and understand the whole child first, first. Then from there, show them systematically, step by step, 
You just need to be taught in a different way. And this is how I'm going to teach you. And this is what we're going to do. And each time they come to you, they're learning something new and building on something that they already knew. And it's all based on what their uh, interests are. So moving forward, <laughs> we also, you know, I think that what needs to be mentioned right now too, though, is not only did you get in a position to help that student, you're also helping people above them, the teacher and the parent and administration were helping them understand that there's first and foremost, help them know that there's nothing wrong with you because you've never met a child like this possibly in your classroom or you've had them in the past and no one taught you how to best teach them. So first, provide a, an area and a space for them to understand and heal themselves and then show them the way. So, everything I was missing, you know, everything I didn't have, I did not feel safe and secure in school. And they didn't feel safe and secure with me, the teachers, the administrators, because I didn't know how to help me. So to give that back to not only the student, but yes, the teachers and the administration. And then, and then I also think that this program is exactly when you, when you listen to teachers and the fabric of the classroom and the emotions that they're feeling in the classroom, they matter. If you're not comfortable and you're not happy and you don't feel supported in the classroom environment, that trickles down to the students. So the importance of providing social emotional space for them mm -hmm. is paramount. And for administration to understand that when you keep piling on more and more, and this needs to be taught, and that needs to be taught, and this, and you need to fit this in, and then fit that in, and get this paperwork done, and get that just by October, November, these teachers are already saying, I, I don't know. I don't know if yep. I can continue to do it, right? So, yeah, COVID's really, COVID's really um, uncovered the mental health for, for teachers yes. and administrators versus before COVID. When we're just like a running machine, everybody's just running and doing. They got to get calm, just like uh, I have gotten calm and peace in my mind where I can recognize where I've done my characteristic and build up on my attributes. Now, then when they're calm, the teacher's calm, the administration's calm, they can do the same for the student. They could build up, they could decrease the characteristics of it and increase their attributes of the student, but not until then. So how are we going to calm teachers? We've talked about lesson plans being replaced with reflective journaling. We've talked about observations, the way that they're typically done to be replaced with more of a active proponent coming to the class who's there constantly, already knows the kids, who's assessing the teacher in a positive light, not a negative one. We've talked about how um, 
the scope and sequence is important and following that scope and sequence, but not going by a curriculum that says you're going to move on now. It's time with this context and content switching. What else have we talked about? Over and so, so trust. So when you said that the scope and mm -hmm. sequence, just letting teachers know that I trust that you have the child's student, I mean, your student's best interest at heart, first and foremost, that you're treating your students like they're your own child. And you're not just, oh, we're still on, uh, say, say in math right now, we're actually doing place value. And most teachers have already done that. That's the beginning of the year. Well, when there was no foundation and some of my students didn't even recognize numbers and couldn't count one to a hundred, that foundational skill needed to be mm -hmm. taught first, right? Number so you're, you trust that when you come into my classroom and you observed that that's what I was busy doing, that I also uncovered that they kept asking me what time it was. And yeah, those analog, log, are they, the, is that the name of the one on the wall that you have to learn how to read? that that might fall by the wayside in the future, but right now you don't know how to read it. If you ask me one more time, what time are we going to lunch? Mm -hmm. And you don't have that tool, like you don't know how to do it. Well, we're going to learn how to do it. So that's based kind of on a need and an interest. So mm -hmm. the trust factor that you know your teachers, you know their character traits, you know what they're um, made of, right? So, and if they're falling short in some way and you're noticing, oh, you know what? Okay, you're still on, you need to move on from place value. To be able to have that relationship with the teacher to say, is there something going on? Like, what can I do to support you? Mm -hmm. That's huge when a teacher doesn't feel attacked and judged, right? So yeah, this it's exciting to think about the change that we're trying to put forth. Uh, I am forever grateful that the implementation of my Albert in my classroom is something that I've been gifted with, that I'm permitted, quote unquote, to do in my classroom of several different grade levels and knowing that it's coming from a place of I've noticed over time that that way isn't working and this is what my students need and this is what I want to implement. So I'm so grateful that, that, you know, following the, the curriculum, but we're, we're learning, we're moving forward. There's progress happening in my classroom. It's not just a drive by, like I used to call it the drive by shooting. Like, you know, it's like, you just expose well, it. To well, I said, I put it on Facebook. Sorry, I put it on Facebook all, uh, recently. It's like none of the intervention, none of the instruction is good unless we can don't look at the heart and the mind of the student. We've got to yeah. look at if they develop anger and shame. If so, let's replace it with strength and compassion. Let's teach them how to do this. Once they have those at those things in their heart and mind, then they can believe in themselves. What did I say at the very beginning? They just need somebody to believe, believe yeah. in their purpose and trust in their purpose and trust in them, trusting in their heart and mind. So, so 
Yeah, in summation, I think we probably need to sum this up. Um, we will continue this conversation, but I do want to mention, I don't want to leave without mentioning how what we just displayed and discussed about the way we would like our classrooms to run in the future uh, and how it lands on students. I got the most beautiful note that was just laid on top of my computer from a student who mm -hmm. basically said he just wanted to thank me for, for I, I should read it the next time. There was no punctuation. All the letters like ran into each other, but the message was, thank you for allowing us to do uh, mindfulness, bounce and catch. Thank you for bringing us in treats. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay that so-and-so and so-and-so are making poor choices. <laughs> yeah. But we're a school family and I love my school family. Like, yeah. yeah I, so I'm that saying, letter that you just described, he's probably got visual processing issues. That's the clumping together of letters and skipping over small things like periods. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's, it reflects his grammar, which it could be grammar too, but that's in the scaffolding realm. Grammar's above all of the. Doesn't matter. Stuff. The message was there. But he's the happy. message was there. And if you would have mentioned how he constructed it versus what he's saying in it, which is going with his feelings in the future. It would have totally disbarged him. Disbargement yeah. is a look down of people's opinions, thoughts, and feelings. And that's what caused most shame. Again, being neurodivergent. Now I'm talking about divergency now. My divergent thought versus just a neurodifference of learning difference, right? That I had so many people look down on my thoughts and feelings based off of how I constructed my language. And that was so sad. And I know you didn't do that. But when you yeah. see the writing sample, I just call that also a writing sample. When you see the writing sample, see how you can develop your intervention around that and and not emphasize that to him or her that they brought yeah. it. So moving forward, behind um, it. you know, I can go on and um, I wasn't quite sure because you know how you learn within, like you can take that further, for you know, deeper. So I don't want to take that particular writing sample and um, make him fail like there was that he fell short in any way. No, it was. So, beautiful. But there's he also something beautiful. to be said about doing separate lessons. Like, for example, today we're going to learn that all sentences begin with the capital, you know, and they all have ending marks. How do you feel about direct instruction like that? Do you think he would benefit from that? And then. Uh, well, then compliment him when I see him applying. Visual processing, that's got to be directed by a developmental or behavioral optometrist. You'll never be able to fig to help that itself. Now, you'll use co color overlays to help with it. You'll use larger um, larger lined paper that has the larger. She can go larger and then work his way smaller. Um, you'll use different fonts of larger, large, and then you're going to, again, work your way to small. But he he would need to be seeing a developmental behavioral outcome just for the visual processing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's a thought. So just for the listener, uh, this is Trish Cook and Linda Coyle just having the natural raw uh, discussion around our efforts to promote um, 
a different type classroom where we're addressing the needs of a, a student with neuro differences. And uh, the passion comes from the fact that we walk through life um, as students in school where our teachers didn't understand and they weren't there to help us. And we experienced a lot of trauma and we both, we both have the same experience where we really believe that we went through what we went through in order to be in a position to live and give like no other uh, in this, in this field of, uh, of teaching. We want to make students understand that there's nothing wrong with them. Instead, let's figure out what your gifts are, what your strengths are, and let's just run with it so that they can be well-developed young adults. And uh, even, well, let's talk about the adults. We want, we also want to help them. Uh, that's my dream is to teach an adult dyslexic how to read. So that is on my, that is on my vision board. Um, and I will do that because God told me I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, so anyway, cool. um, until I'm going to head on. Yeah. Thanks. Right. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.